Hello and welcome back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series on NBC and based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. My co-host is Kate Kolzik, TV editor at soundonsight.org and writer at theavyclub.com. I am Sean Coletti and our guest this week, also from Sound On Sight, he's a film and television critic who, along with Kate, uh, brings you all the best in contemporary television on the Televerse podcast, which is a comprehensive look at TV. We're very pleased to welcome back Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Oh, I can't reasonably complain. Uh, I, I remember at the last minute that this is, among other things, uh, a beverage-assisted podcast. So uh, that was that was a lovely thing to remember. So I, I, I was able to whip up something. Uh, and now all is well. I really wish I could partake in some wine. I had all the intention of doing it all 13 weeks, and unfortunately I came down with a sinus cold, and it's probably not a good idea for me to be drinking a bottle of wine right now. Are you well, uh, no. mix sinus meds and wine? <laughs> like, I'm sure that would, could only enhance your handle viewing experience. Not like, you know, you get horrible nightmares or anything. Uh, well, I any, have horrible nightmares. Anything sinus-related, I always advise a hot toddy with scotch in it, but but I don't know. It's always worked for me on some level. <laughs> I do it all the time. Look how I turned out. There you go. Uh, last week, actually, I recommended Under the Skin to the listeners. Because you're our resident film critic here, is there any other recent things that you think Hannibal fans might enjoy based on the show's aesthetic or genre? Ooh. Um, hmm. It's funny because I, I took out um, Maniac from the library with the intention that I, I, I hadn't seen a, a Ballyhood horror film in a while. I haven't watched it yet, even though I've, I've heard mostly good things. If it's good, I suspect it would be great for people who like Hannibal. Uh, but I haven't watched it yet, so I couldn't tell you that. But if I can stretch the definition of things I could recommend for fans of Hannibal, uh, this morning and last night, um, I after watching uh, this episode, uh, I put together a playlist on Spotify for people who enjoy the uh, the original music of Hannibal, not so much the uh, the classical side. Kate, you've got that covered. Uh, but specifically Brian Reitzel's original uh, scoring. Uh, if you don't have the money to shell out for the deluxe uh, steak tartare vinyl, um, you can just head over to Spotify, and I've made a playlist called uh, the Hannibal Jukebox, which is uh, sort of a mix of uh, ambient, uh, neoclassical, uh, noise, and other dark... I don't think it's stuff that Hannibal himself would approve of, uh, but I think that if you enjoy the vibe and the, and the, t- and the timbres of uh of the hannibal score then then there you will find things to enjoy anyway you can look that up on on spotify it should be very easy to find uh, i can speak from experience that this is a good mix i was listening to this at the end of my shift oh yeah because yay. i didn't want to do any work uh yeah I've, I've been adding things to it over the course of the day i think it's up to 20 tracks and i should really just stop because it's like almost two hours and it's 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 that's a solid amount <laughs> all right well this week we'll be talking about season three episode two of hannibal uh primavera written by Jeff Flaming and Brian Fuller, and directed by Vincenzo Natale. Before we get into that, though, a few housekeeping things up at the top. Once again, if you'd like to get in contact with us, uh, leave a comment, ask us questions, those kinds of things, uh, you can contact us in one of three ways. You can find us on Twitter. I am at Sean Coletti. Kate is at The Televerse. Uh, and, and Simon, of course, if you'd like to get in contact with Simon, he's at Sucker Howell. And if uh, you'd prefer other methods, we respond to emails, and our email address is thisisourdesign666 at gmail.com. 
Yeah. I didn't know that. That's pretty great. Right? There's a comment on that in just a moment. And finally, you can also just leave a, a comment at the post for this when it goes up over at soundonsite.org. Uh, and thank you for everybody who has contacted us since the first episode, uh, including David, who actually corrected me on the number of the beast thing. It's actually 616 is the number of the beast. I didn't know that. What? lied to me and like a million other metal bands what the hell what the hell now i'm annoyed at like everything uh thank you for several listeners for uh alerting us that it was an aristotle bust that was used in that murder and to schizopolis for bringing up the comparison between anthony and tom ripley which i think is a really interesting one especially because of the tonal similarities in some episodes of hannibal to the adaptations of that book uh, and then Christine, who mentioned Cinemetrics, which is very relevant to Hannibal by the Numbers, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. And then uh, Fiction Isn't Real, who alerted us to a different account of Pietro de la Vina, uh, that, different from the one that was mentioned in last week's episode. So thank you. Now, I have a quick question, because um, we heard from Schizopolis about Tom Ripley. Um, who is that? The talented Mr. Ripley. One of those films that I should have seen and I hear good things about, but have not seen yet. <laughs> Although, actually, um, if, if I can what now actually put on my film critic hat, um, the, ep- the the movie that last week's episode really reminded me of was not the talented Mr. Ripley. It was Ripley's Game, uh, which is the Ripley adaptation that many fewer people have seen because I don't think it ever actually got a, th- a real theatrical release with John Malkovich in the Ripley role uh, with an older Ripley uh, anyway, I don't want to say too much more about it, but it's a really, really, really interesting movie, and people should check it out. Very cool. I was feeling like a, a, a complete dummy because they're like, people like with the various responses, the email, and everything. I was like, yeah, I, I know who that is. You say Ripley? I just go to Alien. I'm sorry. I'm, I will always go to Alien and Aliens first with the name Ripley. Fair enough. Yeah. It's not, not a bad thing to go to. <laughs> uh, and finally. Related to listener feedback, of course, we mentioned that we're going to do a giveaway of the first season of Hannibal on DVD. And as I shake the names now, represented in little tiny cutout pieces of paper, congratulations to Misha, who is now the proud owner of Hannibal 1, Hannibal 1, Hannibal season 1 on DVD. There will be more giveaways throughout the season, so if you didn't win this week, do not despair. Or maybe despair, because despair probably lends itself to Hannibal. That's the cheery way to start the the episode there, John. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So we'll shift into that. And just as an appetizer, here is your Hannibal by the numbers for Primavera. Uh, There are eight speaking roles in this episode, and with a total of 235 lines compared to last week's 326, the the three most prominent characters, as one might have guessed just by having watched it, would be Will at 97 lines, uh, Ronaldo Pazzi at 68 lines, and Abigail at 30 lines. And this is interesting because in last week's episode, the, the three major roles based on line number were one of our main two characters, Hannibal, uh, one of the female characters who was closest to him, in that case it was Bedelia, in this case it's Abigail, and then a new Italian character, and last week it was Anthony, in this case it is Ronaldo. So that's probably not a coincidence. And then the number of scenes in this episode is 21 compared to last week's 31. So those are just to get 
the table set, as it were. hey <laughs> And then we'll dive right into uh, the discussion uh, and begin at the beginning of Primavera, actually, because I think this was an interesting decision to use uh, quite a long flashback sequence from Mizumono. Uh, you know, we picked up last week without really addressing the events that happened at the end of that episode, and here we get uh, the supposed killing of, of Will and Abigail. And it's slightly different. It's not set to the same music, obviously, because in Mizumuno that was part of a long set piece that had a lot going on all at once. So this is a little bit different. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit. It's a, a lot of bit different. <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, but Simon, if you could kick us off and just maybe talk a little bit about what purpose does this flashback serve if there is one beyond just kind of reminding listeners where Will's story left off? Is there a reason for kind of emphasizing this given what else happens in Primavera? Um, <laughs> let's get morbid. Uh, I, I remember, um, there's a, there's a band called Brand New and on a record from, uh, seven or eight years ago, there's a song called Limousine. It's about, which was about this horrific accident. This uh, little girl uh, died terribly. It was, I don't need to get into the details, but I remember watching a YouTube video set to that song wherein the, um, the, the, the family members of the girl talked about the accident and they said, um, you know, this set the agenda for everything that has happened since and everything that's going to happen or something along those lines. And um, I think that, I, I thought of that immediately when uh, when I when we got this extended uh, flashback or this sort sort of um, reprise of uh, of Mizumono, which I should note now I've watched twice and not seventy two hundred times uh, as I imagine you guys have, um, but um, it 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 feels very much like that like the show honoring the fact that the events of that episode. Um, will dictate um everything about will's behavior i think uh for probably um if not the entire season at least uh much of it i would assume and it's so much of what i'm gonna be saying in this episode is to- is 100 percent speculative but uh, my favorite thing about this episode was the way um it honored uh will's sense of trauma without him having to uh to say so uh, to find to finding other ways to do that um and i think getting that something like four or five minute excerpt from the episode albeit different as kate is going to illuminate in ways that i'm sure didn't even occur to me um i think uh to, anything less uh would have been uh would have helped us gloss over the horror and i think that reimmersing us in that is a way to uh, to underline that yes, this is this is still Will is still very much in that room, and he may never get out. So it's not just also like establishing establishing tone and I mean that also yeah, yes for this season, but <laughs> those <laughs> things too. No, absolutely. But I, I like what you're saying. You're suggesting that it's it's very important that we consider this at the top going forward as we continue Will's story. That this is something that haunts him. Yes. And also, obviously, this is a show that doesn't hold your hand most of the time, and certainly that is very aware of its devoted, the devoted nature of its fan base. Um, but we should also, I mean, they're making this show for presumably 
not only people who have seen Mizumonu like a million times and have the DVD and probably rewatched it right before the season started last week, you know. So while it's, whoever those people would be, those people would be, uh, it's it's very fresh in in our minds, and you know definitely Sean and myself. But for a lot of the viewers, this was last year, and they may not have the immediate recall that um, that that some of us do. And those of us who have the immediate recall, it's a very effective because it's it's like you know, like a PTSD reliving it again. And for those who don't, it's a just it jogs your memory. So it, so it's very it's very affecting. Um, and if you go up into I was timing because I'm curious how long it was. And it's if you go up to the the teacup shatter like the end of that sequence, that's six almost seven minutes. That's six minutes and fifty three seconds. So it's at least, I would say, um, at least uh, almost six minutes, if not a full six minutes, of footage that we've already seen. There are a couple, because of course I'm me, so of course I, I did a split screen and watched them together. And there's, there's a, Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, there's a couple shots that are different, but for the most part, it's, it's the same takes, it's the same angles, there's just... There's a few choices that are different in the editing that um, emphasize Will and Abigail over Hannibal because his reaction is it's not about his reaction as much when we're watching it this time because it's about Will's experience. Um, but for the most part, it's the exact thing. We'll, and when we get to the other scene that's repeated, that that's changed more dramatically or more significantly, I should say, more time, you know, that's been edited and trimmed for time and stuff. But this is, it puts you right there again. And, um, yeah, it's very effective. I when I was first watching it, I was kind of going, "Come on, guys, we already saw this. I want to know what's happening now." But I think that's just because I'm I'm an impatient fanable. <laughs> I think what struck me most while watching it in this episode um, was that it seemed more horrific this time around, and that might just be because uh, Mizumuno was working uh, like as a build up, a crescendo. And then it, it just felt more like a piece of art that was constructed. And, and if you had taken just this part of it away from itself, then I think the horror of the whole situation really comes into full force. And so I, I actually felt more uncomfortable watching it this time around than we did last year. Um, I don't know if it was more horrific. I definitely forgot, because I haven't watched this 7200 times, I definitely forgot the motion of the knife going into Will's body. Um, which is, uh, it's like one of those, um, it's like one of those really complicated, um, drive shafts on like a large vehicle. Anyway, do you know what I'm talking about? Anyway. Yeah. 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 It's like, 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 anyway. Not pleasant at all. No. Um, okay. So Kate, you mentioned that there was a little bit more focus um, in terms of the, the shot choices and how this was portrayed to emphasize uh, Will and Abigail, and obviously that resonates with this episode just because much of the focus is on that relationship. And, of course, we get a definitive answer that Will did survive the attack and Abigail did not, uh, although Fuller tries to pull a fast one on us at the beginning of the episode. Um, but I wanted to definitely address Abigail, who has been such a huge part of this series, uh in many ways, obviously, she was used as part of Will Graham's uh, narrative arc from the very beginning. 
but she's also had a lot of interesting things on her own, her relationship with Hannibal, her relationship with Alana, um, and just how she was used at some points as a narrative device, which I don't think is an insult in any way. I think that that's necessary for a lot of writers to do. Um, so what, what happens now, or I guess what's your immediate reaction to this story finally being done? I mean, obviously, Abigail can come back in the form that she appears in in this episode, and Will can continue to have conversations with her, and I'm sure that that might happen. Um, but now that she is removed completely, where does that leave Will, and where does that leave you as a viewer? Well, I've, I've sort of been saying goodbye to Abigail since the finale because I figured they couldn't all live. And I also figured they weren't going to kill uh, Will and they weren't going to kill Alana. She's way more interesting if they can do stuff after the fact. And um, also, you know, when they had when they had to not make one of their main actors a a regular cast member and just, you know, bring them in as guest, a guest star, it was Casey Rolls. Um, so I just figured if someone was going to die, I mean, especially with the, the very, Hannibal split her throat. There was no way she was making it out. So uh, I did have a moment or two of, when I was watching this the first time. Um, but I, I wasn't surprised that she, that she died. And um, I thought it, it made sense. And, uh, puts us in a similar position to where we've been in the past on the show uh, with Will trying to process uh, her loss. I, I really like to feel the, the lines, like the Lucy and the football line. I'm sure we'll get there. Um, but I really like the awareness of that. And um, I think Will's just in a very interesting place where he gets by the end of the episode where he says, I forgive you. I just don't really understand. I'm not sure if he just straight up legit means I forgive you. I understand there's nothing else you could have done. This is just what you are. Or if he's, if there's some like scheme within scheme mind game, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I can't really understand what that ending means emotionally for Will, let alone for Hannibal. Um, but I certainly think it's interesting. I look forward to following it. Do you guys have a clearer picture of where Will is at and what it, if he just straight up forgives Hannibal, and if so, how that could be a thing? I, I think if you have a clear picture of Will's mindset in this episode, seek help. Um, <laughs> because uh, it is not a good place. Uh, I, I want to just quickly inter mention that um, the fast one that Fuller pulled with, with respect to Abigail, uh, I am a dumb idiot, and I totally fell for it. And I think a lot of that had to do with uh, with the line he gave her about he knew exactly how to cut us so we didn't die, which I think a lot of us thought was probably happening throughout that sequence anyway, or at least I did, because I figure Hannibal enjoys toying with people and he's got like supernatural abilities to detect things. So he will deliberately not kill him. So I totally fell for that shit. Anyway, um, I think that that's the difficulty of talking about this episode Um in and of itself without have I mean, you guys apparently have seen the third episode. I haven't. Um, so I don't know uh, where they're going with Will exactly. I'm inclined to think, based on what I expect out of this season, that it's a little bit of both. In terms of being able to forgive Hannibal? 
in terms of uh, reaching a level of understanding uh, with or of Hannibal while also feeling like, I mean, it's, 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 you know, eight months have passed. He is in Europe following effectively tracking Hannibal. He wants to at least find him, if not catch him. Uh, I think that on some level he wants to, he once again wants to outwit him and catch that and we're sorry and kick the freaking football. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's entirely one or the other. Yeah. It's, it's a, a couple of very good points. I think the eight, the eight months difference certainly makes it so that that desire to kick the football becomes a little bit less. Now it's, there are more things that he needs to think about and he's not just acting based on pure emotion. Um, and in terms of, being coming to terms with it, I suppose. Um, that's the sense that I got out of his conversation with Abigail, because it, it felt like he was letting her go to some degree as they're sitting there on the steps where Anthony's corpse has been displayed. Um, that conversation about having wanted to, to make a place for her and how it, it just wasn't possible, it didn't work out. It, I mean... I don't know if I'm ready to say that that's fully like him dealing with it. I mean, obviously you can't just deal with grief and that that's that it, it lives with the person forever, but um, in a way where he can kind of contain it. So yeah, that's, that's the impression that I got. Well, and there's a couple things that I think are interesting about the portrayal of Abigail in this episode. Um, I absolutely agree, Sean, when, when he, you know, I tried to make a place for you and then, um, this was all I could do. Wasn't enough, or whatever. And then, then the, her her scar opens back up. I do feel like that's him letting her go and releasing her. Sort of. I'm not sure what prompts it in that moment, um, but I, I really think of in this episode Abigail less as actually Abigail and more as what Abigail means to Will and as a facet of his psyche. So I see Abigail in these conversations not necessarily – that's not necessarily what – if she had lived, what I think Abigail would be saying. I think it's a representation of the part of Will that still wants to go to Hannibal. Like all this – like I think of the uh, us and we being him. So being Will talking to himself. So he cut us so we couldn't die in a way where we wouldn't die. Not meaning Abigail, but mean he cut me in a way that I couldn't die. Um, mm-hmm. Talking to himself. And uh, also just the, you know, taking advantage of the fact that since, since the show uh, started more time, much more time has happened in real life than in the show. And so just, you know, Casey rolls is older. She looks, you know, she, then the way they do her hair and makeup, they're not trying to make her look like how she looked when, um, when Will knew her, she looks more confident and calm. She uh, she's very put together. She doesn't look like someone who has gone through the trauma that she would have gone through. So again, it just feels more like a projection of who she would be at that point if if this other stuff hadn't happened, or as this you know vision that Will has of you know who she could have been rather than actual an actual ghost or an actual you know, person. I know that Brian Fuller has talked about her as she is a ghost and she's also this other stuff. So, you know, she's many things, but um, for me, that that's really how I saw her. 
I think she represents a uh, football. Shit, wrong metaphor. Sorry. Never mind. <laughs> uh, in terms of being a manifestation of that part of Will that wants to go to Hannibal, I think that it's, it's great to look at certain characters post-death in ways like that, um, despite you know whatever different ways that that Fuller might suggest. Because I, I was just rewatching. Well, I've been rewatching the whole series actually, and uh, I just came came past in season two where Beverly died, and the following episode um, where she appears to Will and is that voice of you're supposed to interpret the evidence, so interpret the evidence, um, a, a way of like guiding Will to do the things that he ought to be doing, and in this case, it might be letting go of that desire and uh, coming to terms that there's n- with the fact that there's no way to bring Hannibal around in the way that there might have been in the past. And so at the same time, though, I'm I'm worried like what that does to our interpretation of Will, because I feel like it's really important to make a distinction between Will, who was suffering from encephalitis in the first season, and then healthy Will, who doesn't really hallucinate unless he's actively putting himself into those situations. Is that a problem at all for either of you two? Well, he is actively putting himself in a situation though i mean yeah he's 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 globe trotting in search of the guy who almost killed him and that and killed probably several people he was very close to um you guys we, we can maybe talk at some point about who we think is dead although you guys have probably already done that um but um yeah i mean he's not it's not as though he's i remember at the end of manhunter um, that Will Graham, uh, just, or there, you know, you have, you have scenes of that Will Graham just kind of chilling in a beach being like, I don't want to deal with this noise. Uh, and it's impossible to, to imagine this Will Graham doing that. I do think there's an important distinction though, between the Will we meet in the pilot who mostly seems like he's good. And then the Will who's increasingly sick over the course of the first season as his encephalitis flares up. And then the, the Will in season two, who is healthy once more and is then working to ensnare um, Hannibal and getting lured into a darker and darker headspace by him. Um, I do think they're very, they're very different and figuring out exactly where Will is now and how close he is to the season, the beginning of the show will versus the healthy season two will is, you know, that's going to be an important thing to track. And um, yeah, Clearly, like you say, Simon, he's globetrotting, looking for Hannibal. But, but I also think I believe him when he says he's not sure what he would do, and that he's not sure what side he's on. And that's part of why it's so refreshing to me that Patsy really—he's very confident. <laughs> he's confident that Will is a good guy, and I'm like, good, because I need somebody to be. And if I'm not sure that I am, I'm glad that you are. I will say, though, that even though he doesn't seem like obviously he's still seeing stuff and he's not uh, 100 percent if he ever will be. But I but it's it's the first season where um, or at least I think it will be the first season where his focus is uh, is pretty single minded in terms of he doesn't you know, he doesn't have a job. Um, He's not uh, he doesn't have a million things to calculate right away. His his focus is pretty simple at the moment find Hannibal. Um, and that, that seems that at least that simple purpose 
seems to be good in terms of being a driving force. Maybe not so good in terms of what it actually is, but, you know, that's a debate for another time. Um, and yes, I, I, I agree that it's good to have Posse there to uh, as, as as an affirmative uh, presence. I, I would I, I my one thing about the episode, though, is that I didn't uh, find him to be all that arresting a character otherwise. Well, let's talk about that, because um, he draws comparisons to Will himself. He says that they're quite similar in many of the ways that they think that they share this kind of imagination. Um, he also says he talks about his keenest pleasure, that those moments when the connection is made and knowing, not feeling, not thinking. Um, do you think that those connections are just superficial and, and Potsy doesn't really understand Will? I mean, obviously he, he hasn't spent enough time with him. He's read his files and stuff like that, but does he not feel, uh, you think, a genuine connection or is it just that those connections that they might share aren't interesting enough yet without more information about Potsy? I, I would say the latter for me, um, Potsy didn't really feel any more real than Abigail to me. Um, especially the way that he, um, he was quite similar to Will, or at least expressed himself as being quite similar to Will, uh, seemed to understand Will instinctively. Um, maybe not completely, but pretty close. And, um, it, it almost seemed like the angel on his shoulder saying, you got this you you seem crazy and unstable uh and possibly violent but you're totally not those things keep at it bro um i mean he's there to be jack right? yeah he, he's, um, he's a combination of will and jack yeah so it 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 added i i'm pretty sure he's supposed to be real uh but i he 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 i i, I can't be totally sure uh it would it makes sense for him to be real but um he didn't feel totally uh dimensional to me I really enjoyed the character and uh, not just be like I said, because I am glad somebody's confident in will, but because I like what it opens up um, for the history of, of Hannibal, the character and what else, you know, he was doing and that this is a, this is a saga that Hannibal has been repeating for decades. Um, and yet the, what, what distinguishes the trajectory of, of Popsy um, uh, from Will and Jack and everything like again I there I like this idea of him being sort of a a proto Jack um, or a Will flash Jack but there there's a Jack in this previous incarnation of this story that Hannibal keeps retelling and retelling for himself but there isn't another Will and that's a, a distinction that I think and it really highlights for me the the singular connection between those two characters that are really at the heart of the show and that's Hannibal and Will. So, um, ha you know, getting the flashback, I thought they did such a great job by the way, with the, um, the physicality and haircuts and style and clothes and everything for like shot from the back, young Hannibal. It was like perfectly executed. Um, getting, getting that, that flashback and the, with the painting and, and getting this glimpse at who Hannibal was then um, and the way he's changed and the ways he's remained the same, I think is really valuable and really opens up the story. Um, but I think it's also, I think you need someone to fill that role to, to be tangible and to be able to be a through line theoretically through several episodes, I would assume. I know that that's a character, um, people who've read the books, like their, their ears perked up when that name was said. Uh, at, at ATX uh, when they screened the first three episodes, um, first two episodes, sorry. 
so um yeah i think i think it's important to have someone in that 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 position so i guess i'm co-signing and saying i believe he's real Mm. did you guys pick up on the subtle detail that when hannibal was younger he still really enjoyed killing people uh it was was a nuance but you know i I think it's, it's great that it's there i just love the way they honor continuity and really uh and really reward close attention Hey, last week we got Dante, this week we got Botticelli. Mm. When Hannibal was younger, he was mimicking others' creations, but it was art. And now he mimics other killers. Um, and I think that's an interesting progression. But then again, as any listener of the show knows, I love overanalyzing these things. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, he started mimicking as a way to mimic this painting that he was obsessed with. And over time, it changed from a repurposing of art of something that is you know by the general culture considered beautiful and laudable into a way to kill people and get away with it because you're masquerading as other people's kills i certainly enjoyed um Posse's role in terms of the the style that was used in some of his scenes where when he is describing uh what hannibal used to be like il monstro um the way that it was shot with the voiceover narration and the coloring, um, it, it feeling a lot like a noir, which kind of fits in with some of the past stuff in Hannibal that we've seen, such as uh, Jack's costuming, which makes him look like you know a hard-boiled detective a lot of the time. Um, so that works. I, I'm not so sure, just based on this episode, about his character and his role in particular. I've also not read the, the novel Hannibal, so I don't know how that goes. I don't have that information um, to kind of judge, but the the comparison that he does draw between Will and himself it it made me wonder because it does seem like they instinctively share some things but I'm not sure if the knowing is Will's quote keenest pleasure unquote I don't know what pleasure Will has at all actually I think that used to be a pleasure um, I think you know when we think about what he used to be good at in his former job slash former life. Uh, I think that um, sort of solving puzzles and, uh, and finding uh, a note of resolution for these, um, for these empathic experiences he was having uh, was, if not pleasure, at least some kind of release, uh, something that has been absent for him seemingly in the time since uh, since the incident, or since really since Hannibal has been begun to play such a, a huge role in his life, um, other than that, I can't think. I mean, Will doesn't really seem like uh, you know he's the star of his bowling league or anything. Huh. Well, it, it it seems like despite them both being profilers and having certain, at least as we're presented in this episode, having certain uh, similarities, I think the big distinction for me is that. In order to profile, in order to do what he does, Will has to experience the kill and experience the emotions of the killer. And and he can't have the one without the other. And so that he doesn't enjoy that or doesn't he's never seemed to. It's always that's why he stopped doing it. That's why Jack had to, like, pull him back into the field, because he it wasn't enough, you know, it wasn't the satisfaction of catching people or knowing that he was saving lives wasn't enough for him to keep doing it before the series started. Um, so I do think that's an uh, important distinction between 
will and and Patsy. So this notion of Patsy as being more intellectually driven and will being more emotionally driven. Patsy seems to have a life also. Or have had a life. Like that's an option for him. Yeah, like I can I can stop anytime. <laughs> you know, so he so says much. he specifically can't. I, I like that line at towards the end of the episode. If you cannot do this, I suggest you let it go. Yeah. And and that again being another for me, another parallel to Alana in Mizumono of just just leave, just let this go, pretend it didn't happen, and you'll be okay. Um, we get a similar moment with Bedelia in the premiere, and then here we get the same kind of idea with uh, with Patsy, and he can't. That line towards the end about if you can't do it, I agree, very effective, and there's a lot of stuff, I think, in that final scene, as is the case with how they use the Mizumono flashback at the beginning, that I think is really worth breaking down, and I'm not sure, actually, if we even uh, talked enough about that I forgive you line but just considering that final sequence in the tunnels, um, I, I thought that it worked very well stylistically and technically. Uh, there aren't too many like legitimately tense scenes in this series in the tradition of horror, I think. Um, there are a lot of tense scenes in other ways and in other contexts, but the only other one that I remember off the top of my head, well, a couple, but the major one was in Tobias's basement in his music shop when will goes down in there this reminded me a little bit like that it's it's a chase without being a real chase and there are a lot of other things going on simon what did you think about this final sequence was anyone else thinking about the end of the third man that I'm not yeah the third man. well first of all go watch the third man because it's amazing <laughs> yeah immediately it's like a, it's so good ridiculously good orson welles has like 10 minutes and it's like the best ten, the minutes, best ten ever. minutes ever. Cuckoo yeah. clocks. I, I I need to go to Vienna so I can ride the Ferris wheel because of cuckoo clocks and before sunset, but or before sunrise I should say. But um, anyways, that's neither here nor there. That was an intentional homage. The original idea was for them because it's something that Brian Fuller talked about at the Austin Television Festival. The original idea was for them to be very very much a third man like chase through the sewers, and they're like, oh, that's right, we have no budget. <laughs> so they built like a hallway, a, a catacomb hallway, and kept redressing it and shooting it from different angles. Just kept turn, taking, t- turning left just over and over again. Um, but yeah, so that that third man, that, that's definitely there. Uh, I I was getting that vibe as well, and that ties in with some of that noir, ta- uh, you know, inflection in the flashback as well. Do you think there's any chance that Brian Reitzel like tried to pull out a zither and they were like, no, no, that's it. I would love to hear what Brian Reitzel would do with 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 the zither because that would be uh, that would be awesome. But no, the the scoring is a big part of why that section is so effective for me. Um, it's, I think it's a very interesting choice and it really ups the tension. Having you know having these running triplets underneath, having uh, just a solo violin come in every now and again that to me feels like a victim, the victim being hunted, calling out for help because it's just this one quiet lone voice that's kind of not maybe maybe yelling for help in the distance um there's percussion there there's there's just like this sound wall that doesn't release and doesn't let the tension uh dissipate through the whole thing it's it's very effective uh scoring and yeah along with the camera work and the the set you know like the, the, the those bodies are creepy it's very well done 
it's a beautiful scene to look at in many ways. It, it also, I think, draws on the suspension of disbelief, or in some cases, I guess, the, the willingness to engage a series uh, on its own merits and what it's trying to do, which is kind of what needs to be done when watching television or film, um, because there are potentially hokey things like Will kind of falling back into the darkness. The image of that just on its own could be a bit cliche, but as you're watching it and as uh, Primavera has built up to this, I think that it, that it works very well. And then the, the interaction or the non-interaction between uh, Will and Hannibal, I think, is of special consideration. And to, to address your earlier question, Kate, I don't really know about the I forgive you line. Um, not just I don't know what is on the table in terms of what should be forgiven or not forgiven, but also I don't know Will's earnestness in saying that and Hannibal's reaction to that. I love how he kind of like freezes for a second it's like, and it's like, holy crap, and then just like runs out of there because there's too many feels. You're just like <laughs> can't handle it, you know. So it's not like he rounds the corner and gives him, you know, a big Hannibal style hug, which would probably be an unknowing glance from afar. But um but no, he just like <sighs> too emotionally turns his head and flees the 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 catacombs. I just wish uh I, I haven't I haven't picked up any of the D V D sets. Are there like three hour blooper reels for Hannibal? Because I would watch Seven to ten minute blooper reels, and they're pretty fun. I would watch hours of bloopers. Just imagine a take of that of that scene where he freezes, and then he turns to the camera for a second, and he's like, "Guys, I can't even," and then runs away. <laughs> <laughs> You'd watch it. Um, if you can't get with, I mean, this is a show that in, that whose universe involves like sixty thousand million serial killers. If you if you have trouble with a character backing out into some darkness, I think you need to re reexamine your priorities. Definitely, and Hannibal tests viewers in so many ways. Um, the the artistic vision that it tries to live up to, I think, can just be totally devastating in how sad and beautiful it is at points. But I'm, I know that there's a certain kind of viewership who just can't get on board with that, and so um, that's just unfortunate, I suppose. But yeah, it, the whole sequence worked really, really well for me, despite the fact that it's hard to to get a sense of what's going on there emotionally in that last line, I think. Because Will's a complicated character. It's, it's made more complicated, obviously, by the events of Season 2, where he has to put up the same kind of act that we see Hannibal put up almost all the time, where even for us, the viewers, who are supposed to have more information than a lot of the characters do in the series, it's it's hard to, to track what's what actions are being made in earnest and what are more disingenuous and he's he's always been a very difficult character to empathize with i think and um i think part of his character is also brought up in this episode when he talks about praying and and potsy says you know the point of that is that it leaves you with the distinct feeling that you're not alone and that loneliness has been a huge part of Will's background, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that as well, mostly like to want to to ask if it's more important for Will to feel less alone or to feel 
to mitigate loneliness. Because I think the distinction there is important as well, because those are two different things. To be alone and to feel lonely. What, which of those is more relevant to, I guess, the health of Will Graham? Uh, I mean, he doesn't seem to have any difficulty with loneliness because if he's ever lonely, he can always conjure up any of the dozens of people he has imaginary conversations with. Uh, so he's got that totally covered. Um, perhaps he does long for communication uh, and uh, companionship on the physical plane. And that's where some of this comes from. I think um, that that feels like a question that is above my pay grade to, to sufficiently answer. Do you think it's the same for Hannibal or is it the other way around? Uh, I, th- I think if, if it goes for one, it probably has to go for the other. I really feel like Hannibal is a much lonelier character than Will. Will seems like he's he's very cut off, especially as we meet him in the pilot. Um, and he's de- certainly is seeking connection of some sort, but he it seems sort of like he's just never really been able to have that in his life. I'm assuming because of his, his uh, empathy um, disorder. And so he, he's just sort of resigned himself to isolation and he's got his dogs and like, that's just, that's just, he just does, you know, he just does will, will does will. Um, whereas uh, Hannibal seems more like he keeps trying to reach out and, he he's he's the one who really seems like he wants and needs a friend like this and again that's the thing with Hannibal that he hasn't really been able to discover he has he also has pets um but he doesn't really have peers and so there's no so that's what part of why he seems so um that's why Will's so special and why you know Bedelia just won't do and uh and Abel Gideon just won't do um so I I really I feel like Hannibal is a much lonelier character and part of that may also just be that he is constantly surrounding himself with other people whereas Will is constantly isolating himself I think that's a good point and we'll definitely have some time to get back to some of the more general stuff in the Primavera but I think for now we'll shift into our recurring segments this is our design favorites and kick off, of course, with Kate's Classical Corner. So, Kate, what can you tell us about the scoring and the soundtrack in Primavera? Well, I'll start with the soundtrack. And the, there's basically just the one piece, and that's the P.A. Yezu, which is uh, featured prominently as the cross-cut between the uh, surgery on, on Will and the autopsy and preparation of, of the body uh, for Abigail. And that is uh, from the 4A Requiem, which... Um, close listeners to This Is Our Design will remember that that was featured prominently in Season 2 as well. Um, three different movements of the Foray Requiem were featured in three different episodes in Season 2, and the P.A. Yezu uh, comes in very briefly when um, in Tomewan when Mason comes of, over to Wills to say, hey, I'm going to bring in Hannibal and let's kill him. Uh, and then we cut to Hannibal and uh, Mason's goons come in to take him, and he stabs the one in the leg, and he foolishly takes it out, and so then bleeds out and dies. Uh, anyways, so it was featured in that episode in season two, but it, it feels much more appropriate here. It was neat in season two. Here, it's much more fitting. The P.A. Yezu is, and this is a voice soprano singing a part. It can either be a voice soprano or a, a regular soprano, but they go with the voice soprano. It's a 
pure, more uh, at least for me, more plaintive sound, sound which really works. Um, but the uh, the words are dona es domine, dona es requiem. Um, uh, it's it's basically give them rest, give them peace, give them everlasting peace. Are the 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 lyrics, and so it's just very fitting with. You know, as we discover that Abigail is dead and they prepare her body, um, it's a lovely p- piece of music. And it's interesting to see the foray come back in the season. I wonder if we'll get more foray. Um, of course, we had the pavain for a, a, a dead princess um, in last week's episode at the, at the end. And here we have a different foray. I wonder how much more foray we will be getting this season. Um, but that's the rest of my notes are about the scoring and uh the there are two different scenes we've we talked about one we haven't talked about the other that are directly uh, lifted from Mizumono, and in both of those cases there is new scoring for the scene. The opening scene is completely different, sound is a completely different sound world from the way it's scored in Mizumono. There's this sound wall. There's like this mournful cello. There's tension, strings. There's like some white noise layered in there. Um, it's, it's much more intense. You don't have the, 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 cause it was the Goldberg variation, the, the variation of the Goldberg variation in Mizumono. So it's, it's, it sounds very different. It's much more intense. Um, and it's much more similar to the scoring we get for Will throughout this episode. So it makes sense that we're going into Will's mind and his memory of the situation and of that time. Um, and just as like you mentioned earlier, Simon, Will can't leave that room. He probably still hasn't left. The sound just continues constantly through that scene, whereas in the first time through, it's a lot more spare scoring. Um, Also of note there, Will's Happy Place theme comes in. And I I could be wrong on this. I believe it doesn't come in in the original scoring of that scene. So when Will is lying on the ground and he's watching the stag die... We haven't talked about that yet, but we will. We'll get there, listeners, I'm sure. Um, and the water, the, the dark, inky, Hannibal water of terribleness sweeps in. We get the Will's Happy Place theme. So it's an interesting, for me, um, development of that theme. It has strings underneath the piano instead of just the simple piano. And so it could be this notion of developing and changing the quiet of the stream as Will is co- covered in this water. And it's this bloody water that he's sinking down into Unlike Bedelia, who's up by the surface, he just goes all the way down. It's an interesting, interesting visual. But anyway, so Will's Happy Place theme coming back significant there. The next scene that is similar is when we get the memory of um, Will and Hannibal's conversation about the Palermo so that we know how Will knows where to go. And that one has some of the same scoring. But going into it, there's this like shuddering kind of sound as Will is sort of dissociating and finding himself inside his memory palace that I thought was really interesting. Um, and then when he looks up at the ceiling at the end of that scene, which is, you know, the beginning and the end are what's different, what is, what is new material, we get this glorious organ that comes in as he looks up and sees the, the ceiling to the chapel. And the organ features prominently throughout the scoring in Italy. And so to have it come in in, in such a significant way in that scene, I thought was really very effective and and it was just, it was neat. It was very cool to have that come in and tie in with the ticking, the zimono, and the uh, the percussion percussion and the chimes and all of that. Um, a couple more things. I know I've, I'm going long here like I tend to, but we haven't talked about the creepy, creepy, gross, gross, creepy, gross heart 
and Hartsteg and all of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get there before the end, but um, I needed to mention it here because we get a heartbeat, a heart, like a throbbing heart, percussive uh, drum beat in, in those scenes. That is just, again, almost oppressive. It's very, very present. And um, it's boom, boom, ching, boom, boom. It's, 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 it's very heavy. It's, it's, you can't escape it. And um, it's very effective. And that continues throughout the whole heart sag thing um, tied in with, with more uh, of the other percussion cool. elements as well. So yeah, that, that heartbeat comes back as we get the head crime scene and um, really is very, very effective. There's a lot of repetition throughout that scene, a lot of um, in, in the horn, which kind of for me ties into Hannibal seeing as he was a, the trumpet and percussion the week before. Um, but yeah, so, so there's that. And then the last one, there's there's more to talk about because there's always more to talk about. Um, but y'all can go to soundonsite.org and read up my my write, my write-up, my thousand-word write-up on just the music if for, for more. So the last thing I will mention uh, for the scoring is just this lovely detail that I absolutely adored at the very end where Will says Hannibal and then we get a a run of the harp and he, as he steps from being blurred and he steps forward into focus after he said Hannibal and we get this harp run. And that is for me a direct callback to in the first episode when we get the, the run of the harp and uh, Abel Gideon rolls forward from out of focus into focus. And that harp run is in the WC prelude to the afternoon of a fawn here. He he says Hannibal, he steps forward. There's the harp. He is now in focus, and he and he says, "I forgive you." So for me, that's this idea of the the fantasy conversation, the memory or the memory palace conversation that we had, and wouldn't it be nice if this was Will Graham? And now it is Will Graham. So I mean, I don't know how much of that, all the subtext that Reitzel was going for with that, but you don't put the only prominent harp line in the entire episode in that place, timed to that exact same motion from unfocused to focused and with it it feels very very deliberate so i think that seemed like it was a really neat and specific shout out two episodes in a row so that's where i'm at with the music and it was very pretty again (laughs) (laughs) can i just say out of those many many things you just said my favorite was definitely uh the gleeful scorn with which you mentioned a goon dying when he foolishly pulled a knife out uh, because this is something we bring up all the time on the televers. If you get stabbed with a thing and it's still in you, don't yank it out, dummy. <laughs> yup. And uh, I'd just like to let you know that I am now in the process of trademarking for you the dark, inky Hannibal water of terribleness. <laughs> I think that, that sounds about right. It's like sort of the... Uh... It's it's Will and his no good, very bad, horrible day, right? Is it something like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so again, you can read more uh, thoughts about the music if that's your thing over at soundonsite.org. And yeah, the the deliberate use of that uh, that chord. I I mean, obviously that that's not working for me on the conscious level, um, but that's something definitely worth going back to check out. Uh, but we'll move on to the devil in the details, where we highlight some of the smaller things, though not necessarily any less important, little things that stood out to us, be they visual or otherwise. Um, 
I mean, since you already mentioned it, should we just kick things off with the heart heart? <laughs> How is that a little thing? How is that a detail? Can I just say, I, I wanted to bring it up back when you charitably referred to it as a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> I literally what the hell? have gross, gross, gross written in all caps in my, in my uh, handwritten notes here in red. And then underneath, I have, pardon my language, listeners, how the fuck on American TV? Can I can I just say, actually, when we got some of those close-ups of, like, the uh, sort of getting a sense of how it was made, um, it was one of the only times I've ever thought to myself, it doesn't really look like the inside of a person. That looks more like a side of beef someone left out in the sun for a couple weeks. Um, but it was still pretty effective. Yeah, it was horrible horrifying it was just and it's just it's just coming after him and it for me what was particularly horrifying about it is that it's it's reaching out to him this is Hannibal trying to make a connection this is like the stag is like hey buddy hey pal he's like get away from me and (laughs) and, and it's this warped you know so it was this this you know ominous but majestic creature in season uh season one and when it wasn't being the creepy creepy wendigo uh in season two and then here like it's it's try, it's like rebirthed and i mean the imagery there seems very intentional with the the, the stags and the antlers and everything coming out um but when the 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 hoof kind of comes through the other limbs and the it's it's this warped creature that is trying to reassert itself and trying to 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 return it but it can't it's too mangled it's been it's been through too much and so it it's just the, the the imagery of it is not the only horrifying thing about it. For, for me, it's also this notion of this desperate, fucked up, horrible connection or, and friendship trying to re, re uh, assert itself. Will uh, Hannibal trying to like reach a lifeline out to Will? Um, oh God! I'm sensing I'm sensing a lot of judgment on your part, Kate, towards their friendship. <laughs> I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Uh, maybe I should I should uh, have more critical detachment. I think you should really think about your your perspective on the yeah. show a little maybe bit. Maybe you should be a little more tolerant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's what all of my friendships are like. Well, it's 2015. I mean, you kill a guy, you skin him, you fold him up and carve him, and then I mean, why wouldn't that be a beautiful gift? That was a gift for the family. <laughs> I know. I know it was shaped like a heart, but it kind of reminded me of like um, he basically kind of like chicken lollipopped him. Oh, God. Can we stop comparing? <laughs> like some of us would like to still delude ourselves into not feeling bad about eating meat <laughs> at the end of this podcast, you know? Uh, sorry. Um, no. Okay. Um, well, let's go around the metaphorical table and talk about some more details. So, Simon, anything that stood out to you? As great as it is uh, that NBC is giving us screeners, uh, we love you for that, NBC, even if the media page, even if you should really strongly consider reorienting uh, the design and layout of your of your screener page. Um, the, uh, the, the quality video-wide is not so great, so I, I didn't, I wasn't able to enjoy the show on an aesthetic level as much as I normally can because the windowing and the quality is not so good. Uh, so I, I wasn't able to pick up on minute visual details um, as much. I would say, I don't know if this counts as a detail, but I 
I really enjoy what this part of the season is doing on a meta level of there's such an abandon to how Brian Fuller makes this show of like, are we going to get another season? Who the fuck knows? It's wild that we're still here. Uh, so as long as, as long as I get to keep doing this show the way I want to, and I don't know if we're going to be here next year and it's weird that we still are, uh, I'm going to do this at exactly the pace that I give a shit to do. So, you know, we're two episodes in and, uh, we have one confirmed death and a couple other characters we still haven't seen in the present. And will it take one more episode to find out who's alive and who's dead and who's a figment of Will's imagination? Will it take two? Will it take 11? Who knows? I mean, you know a little more than I do, but I just enjoy There's a, there's a, there's a pleasant level of, of perversity and control uh, to these episodes that I, even though I wasn't huge on the premiere like everyone else was, um, I uh, I enjoy, I really enjoy that this. In theory, this seems like a really pulse pounding show, but really it's it's extremely deliberate, and um, and I really like the way this episode um, uh, gives and takes in in terms of uh, in terms of letting us in on on what's happening. We, we, theoretically, we're barreling forward because of, because it's eight months later, but there's still so much we don't know. Um, and the way that Fuller is able to just sort of spoon feed us this information. And, and I don't think anyone found it to be a frustrating viewing experience. It's, it's finding a really nice way, uh, to give everyone their, uh, horrible, disgusting meat cake. Yeah. Yeah. I concur. And when you mentioned the screener thing, that's, that's why we couldn't tell that it was Aristotle listeners, because when I watched it at, at ATX on the, you know, it was like the final version. I was like, Oh, clearly it's this toddle at the end um but we couldn't see a single letter on our screener so that lets you guys know the, the oh did you, video did you think quality. it was you couldn't see stottle did you think it was like ari from entourage well we didn't we, it did all the the aura ari is you know there's blood there so you can't see what oh and then but you can see the second half of the name so we were wondering who the bust was of because we couldn't we had no no words, um, but anyway, so yes, that's a that's a good point. I'm sure when once we get past the screener threshold, if that happens, um, we will have different visual things we're picking up on. Uh, for me, I, I have a couple here, and then I'll throw back to Sean, and we can probably do some back and forth. But I love that they're whispering in the chapel because they're in a church, and they're in there's a lot of other people there. So I just it's a detail. But I love that they are speaking in hushed tones because that's what you do when you're in a church or you're in a library or you're in a public space where there are a lot of other people being quiet. So I really like that they did that. I like that they don't subtitle the Italian here or in the premiere. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Abigail is wearing a white shirt throughout. She's got a jacket over it. But uh, in her last scene, it's far more featured just by the angle of how open her coat is her coat is more open and so you can see her in that white and especially when you have the heart stag closing in on will um more and more and more uh, and attacking him and he's trying to escape the only thing that can save him from that visualization he's created that influence of hannibal is the influence of abigail you know kind of pulling him away from that so she's very much an angelic sort of presence there saving him from a darker part of himself. So of course then she's in white. Um, the painting behind Hannibal, when he like leaves, it totally looks like it's watching him. It's one of those like tricks of the <laughs> angles, but those eyes are like, they're following Hannibal off the screen. And then um, 
Well, I guess I guess I'm going through all of my things, but uh, we haven't, you know, said teacup. So we should probably talk about that. Teacup. Teacup will. Teacup. Um, and then uh, it was just so wonderful to see Hannibal's office again and know that that is still a thing that can happen. No, that was one of my teachers. And I'll leave it there. And Sean, what? I have no thoughts about sets or anything. Would you like to talk about sets? <laughs> You're absolutely right, because we were wondering about that in our last podcast with Noel. We were all kind of lamenting the fact that now that this has all happened, we're never going to return to Hannibal's office, which is just one of the most beautiful sets on television. And thank God for flashbacks, right? Flashbacks and memory palaces and yeah. It can still be repurposed as, I don't know, like the, if they, I've got an idea. If they reboot Friends, that can be the new apartment. (laughs) <laughs> it could be the new Central Park. Yeah, or that. What a what a creepy repurposing of Friends. I'd watch it. Yeah. I probably wouldn't, actually, because I didn't watch much of Friends, but that's beside the point. Um, some of my details. Uh, yes, The Office. Uh, Kate, you mentioned the church as well. The Father, or whatever the title is of the person. I don't know any of those kinds of things. Um, but he sees Abigail. They look at each other. Yep. What's up with that? Uh, well, apparently she's a ghost. And he's a holy man, so he has that and capability. He's, yeah, he's magic or something. It, 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 <laughs> it, it, he, Fuller is messing with the audience there a little bit, getting us to think that she's real because, well, somebody else saw her so clearly, um, so that he can pull a fast one. But it's also this notion, um, I mean, I, if you want to say that she's not there and he doesn't see it, it's this notion of other people being able to see hanging around Will this cloud of despair and the effects you know, like they can see that this manifestation of this experience and this trauma, so they can see that aura sort of around him. Maybe not a physical. Hey, there's a a lady wearing a a pretty sweet looking jacket over a white blouse. Um, but it's also this notion that no, she's a physical ghost as well as a mental projection. At least that's yeah. what Brian Fuller says. But we've learned we don't really care what the creators think at a certain point. Yeah, screw you, Brian Fuller. So what do you think, Sean? What do you think it means? No, <laughs> Screw you, Brian Fuller. Please come on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We do love you, Brian Fuller. And congratulations on getting a show to its third season because the networks are really dumb when it comes to that. Um, but yeah, no, everything that you were saying, I think, was kind of what was going on in my head. That idea that's, well, first of all, that there is death following Will around, that people... Even not necessarily just somebody like um, a holy person, but anybody would be able to pick up on stuff like that, probably, uh, just in any kind of interaction with Will. And yeah, there's always been this kind of non-specific religious tinge to Hannibal that gets talked about time to time, and I, I find it interesting, I think. Mostly because they don't come down hard on anything, so it's not like we really have to think about it too much, um, but just... Hannibal's relationship with God and how Will interprets that, I think. that This is another thing that falls into that category. Um, other little details that stood out. Uh, this isn't necessarily like a visual thing or anything, but the fact that Ronaldo recognizes Will, obviously by reading his stuff, but we assume through the advent of the Internet, like... Again, suspension of disbelief, etc. But 
certainly people in Italy are going to know what Hannibal looks like, no? Or, you know, Dr. Fell? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Hannibal logic. But, don't, don't, don't think about it too much. Okay, I'm not thinking about it. Moving on. Um, <laughs> the, the, the line, God only knows where I would be without him. This is Will talking about Hannibal. The, the Beach Boys-ness of that was fantastic, and that will absolutely be the outro music for this podcast. Um, and then when Hannibal... I actually didn't think about this while watching Mizumono, the... What are we saying? 7,200 7, times? Is that what we're calling it? I think it's... Yeah, I think that's the tally. Okay. Um, during those times, I I didn't think about how he talks about uh, Will wanting to confine him to a prison cell. And then he gives this knowing look towards Abigail. Because we don't know what was going on with Abigail all throughout season two. You know, if she had free roam of the house or if she was just locked up like we assume Miriam Lass was to some extent. Um, that was a thing that I hadn't noticed that stood out this time around. And finally, uh, part of my family comes from just outside of Palermo, so I feel like I have to go over there now. Very cool. Yeah, hopefully I don't die, though. That would be preferable, certainly. Yeah. I, I know I don't want to have to edit this podcast. Can, oh God, no! <laughs> can someone remind me uh, if Miriam Lass is alive or not? Yes. Yes. Uh, because Scott Chilton in the face. Because I feel the need to retrospectively apologize for all the times that I mispronounced Anna Klumsky's name. Seriously? Seriously. Ooh, that's bad. Yeah, she was at the Tonys, and they pronounced it Klumsky. Okay, did she pronounce it Klumsky? What? Did she pronounce it Klumsky? I only know what they did at the Tonys, and that seems like a big fuck-up for the Tonys to do. Wow. Adele Dezim. But, yes, I will have to investigate that. If that is, in fact, the case, I'm going to be feeling bad. Uh, do we want to talk about uh, Teacup, Will, at all? Or is it just like, hey, that was really, really pretty, but we don't really have other thoughts? Uh, not really. It was when I noticed that despite the negligible video quality on the screeners, the audio quality and mixing was still really good. Because that was loud. <laughs> yes, it was really loud. And that that scene, or those two scenes, uh, one after the other, um, again, were things that really reminded me of Under the Skin. Actually, speaking of details, uh, the one that, we, that will be one thing I comment on is that um, in music mixing, particularly pop music mixing, there's, uh, they just there is something called the loudness wars um, wherein um, over time records um, have become mixed uh, in a way that squashes the dynamics uh, through the use of something called dynamics processing. Um, and it, it, it's a real problem. Um, and I think that that is happening to some degree on a lot of, uh, in a lot of TV and film as well, where there isn't a lot of uh, not a lot of dynamics going on in terms of, uh, in terms of the mixing especially on TV, I would think, where it's like really grab your attention, grab someone's attention as they're flipping through channels. Uh, and I love that Hannibal, um, uh, it really benefits from just crank it and it's going to be quiet and then it's going to get really, really loud and just shatter your, and, and shake your walls and it's really going to improve your experience if you just crank it up. Definitely. I'm talking about sound mixing as well. 
Ugh, the sound effects for the unfolding body are super gross. Yeah. 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 I, I don't think that we're going to get, like, the amount of uh, tableaus that we got in previous seasons, so this one's probably going to stand out quite a bit. Yes. Well, we got two tableaus. You know, with the flashback, we get the Primavera tableau as well, and that's a convenient way to give us tableaus without having to have Hannibal actively killing more people. Um, in a given episode, or finding new serial killers to be killing people. That's a creative way to incorporate more tableaus. This is true. So. All right. Was there anything else that we haven't talked about with regards to this episode that anybody wanted to bring up? I will say that the line about um, where, where he's talking to Potsy about God, and you know, that, that, that conversation they have about God and what God wants, and does he believe in God, and uh, what Hannibal thinks about God, et cetera, et cetera. I, that was a little rich for me. I would that was a, that was the scene where I thought, okay, Fuller and company, you're laying it on just a teensy bit thick. I was, was that just me? I, I felt like that was that was a little bit showboaty for my liking. Um, you mean the one that comes to mind for me is the Abigail and and Will discussion because it just felt so shaped by Hannibal. Like everything that Will was saying there about what what God will and won't do and why and elegance and and all of yes, yeah, sorry, it was Abigail, not Potsy. Yeah, that just felt. I was like, mm, do you really think that Will, or is that just Hannibal coming out of your mouth? Because that really does that doesn't sound that sounds much more like Hannibal than it does like Will. Um, but I did really appreciate this. Uh, I what I believe is closer to science fiction. I thought that was just a fun little throw away there. Um, and that also reminds me with Abigail and, uh, and Will, what, what does Abigail say that Will was lying about in Mizumono? Like, why did you right. lie? Yeah. I was just racking my brain. I was like, I don't think he was lying. So what was he like? Uh, you know, if you guys have any ideas on that. Well, I think the assumption, at least that I felt, uh, the viewer was supposed to have there was the how genuine he was about um, maintaining that friendship as Hannibal thought it. I guess just being kind of deceptive in general. Yeah, that's, that's what I took from it. I took it as an overall reference to his deception. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was looking for like in the Mizumono when were they? But okay, that makes way more sense. So I was just being <laughs> ridiculous as Ken you said, said you were going to be there at five. And you you got there in ten after. Yeah, and we all got, got st- and we, we all got got, got neck stabbed for it. So thanks. Damn, that's a harsh reaction to being ten minutes late. Hey, come on, it's rude. You don't you, you yeah. don't make sure you're not rude when you're talking when you're hanging out with Hannibal. Uh, do we have any predictions for the next uh, episode or two? I mean, I've seen it, so I'm not going to chime in here. But I would love to know what you guys think. I've actually not seen it either, so... Oh, wow, I assumed... I ass- wait, a, wait a minute, you guys have been... You've managed to not do that? I... Because I knew we were going to do this, I didn't want to do any of the preparation for these podcasts and do my written reviews With that until... knowledge, yeah. Yeah, I guess, yeah. And it takes so much time to do that stuff, so... I'll I'll get to it over the weekend. But yeah, in terms of predictions, um well, I mean, we dealt with Jack 
I'm sorry, Hannibal and Bedelia in the first episodes, Will and Abigail in this one, I assume or hope that we get Jack in the next one. Um, I mean, I guess like he's the third main character and then maybe Alana in the fourth one. That's that's my guess. That's my speculation. Simon? Scott Thompson busk, uh, busking in Europe. <laughs> Sounds good to me. And get on board. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, I suppose we will end the discussion here. And uh, once again, thank you, Simon, for coming on and talking with us. Uh, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Any goings on on the Internet? Uh, no, as I already mentioned, you can find uh, my Hannibal playlist, which I'm probably done tinkering with. Uh, on Spotify, uh, it's called the Hannibal Jukebox. I can't imagine there's any other playlist by that name. Uh, and uh, you can hear Kate and I on the Televerse. Uh, and also in the next couple of weeks, uh, Ricky D and myself at the Sound of the Site will be recording the final episode or final episodes, um, final recording anyway, of the Sorted Cinema podcast, which will also officially end the Sound on Site podcast in the hopes that we will be starting a new and exciting and somewhat different film podcast in the next couple of months, which I'm sort of in the planning stages of. Uh, so keep your, <laughs> keep yourself peeled for that. I guess uh, if we're going to, if we're going to stay on the Hannibal theme. And Kate, anything going on that you'd like to let the listeners know about? Um, well, if you're looking for other TV talk, like Simon said, you can find the Televerse over at Sound on Sight. Um, you can go on out every Tuesday talking about the rest of TV. You can also, uh, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, we'll be finishing up. Um, at this point, actually, by the time you're hearing this, we will have we'll have one more episode of uh, the season to talk about. So you can check that out. It's on the site. Uh, Orphan Black is coming to an end. So my coverage of that at Soundside is coming to an end. Veep is coming to an end. So all basically all these shows are finishing up. My coverage for them is finishing up at Sound on Sight and at the AV Club. And I'm assuming that's so that I can then only have Hannibal to, to worry about. Um, and, of course, my weekly reviews of Hannibal are going up at Sound on Sight, along with uh, Kate's Classical Corner write-ups, um, which, when they're long, will be a separate post. And when they're short, we'll see if I manage that at some point, will be in my reviews. So you guys can check all that content out at soundonsight.org or for Veep at the AV Club. And, of course, I, I'm on uh, Twitter at the Televerse, like Sean mentioned earlier, and I love talking Hannibal with you guys. So uh, send me a line there. And you can find my written reviews uh, for Hannibal over at tvovermind.com. And, uh, again, feel free to contact either of us, any of us, all of us, any past guests I'm sure would love to be contacted, although I probably shouldn't just assume that. But Hannibal is within all of us and is something worth talking about. So you can get us on Twitter. Again, the email address is thisisourdesign666 at gmail.com uh, or leave a comment at the post at soundonsite.org. And the last thing I should mention, it just occurred to me, is that I did get a chance to talk with Brian Reitzel for about 45 minutes about the music of Hannibal. It was amazing. And that will be going out on the feed this week. It'll also be going out with this week's uh, episode of the Televerse. So you can look for that in your, if you're subscribed to the uh, Sound on Site TV feed, you can look for it there. If you're subscribed to the Televerse feed, you can look for it there with next week's Televerse podcast. So um, it's very very cool that I got to talk with him in such depth about about the music for the show. Nerd! I'm looking forward to it. Whole nerd. <laughs> like mega super nerd. Very fun. 
And as you were saying that, uh, that also reminded me of something that one of our listeners mentioned. Uh, if you are a subscriber to this podcast via, hold on just a, via Downcasters, uh, there were some syncing issues with the, the first one. Um, if you're still having those problems, all you need to do is unsubscribe on Downcasters and then resubscribe, and then you should have the most recent episode at your disposal. Uh, but that's it for this week. Kate and I will be back next week to talk about Season 3, Episode 3, Secondo. And until then, this has been another episode of This Is Our Design. I may not always love you But long as there are stars above you You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it God only knows what I'd be without you If you should ever leave me Though life would still go on, believe me The world could show nothing to me So what good would living do me? God only knows what I'd be without you